This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. This isn't Diary of a CEO. Pelle gets there when Pelle's ready to get I mean, I had the pleasure of playing alongside him. So Pelle says to me, let's get in the bed. What was Pelle like as a person? I'm talking about, did he go for a beard? The youngest player to win the World Cup, of course. You know, he, he did the Cruyff turn before Cruyff. You remember Escobar? My thigh is as big as Pelle's waist. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to this special bonus episode of That Peter Crouch Podcast with me, Peter Crouch. Um, I've still got Chris Man- <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even announce you. It's 2023. It's the same old shambles. Oh, fucking hell. It's good, mate. It's good. We're rusty. We know who you are anyway. Everyone knows who you are. Yeah, so. just, this, bit, this bit is largely pointless. Basically, we crank a beer... We get into it. You know how it is. This isn't Diary of a CEO. Don't expect this to be polished, but for some reason it works. Welcome along, everyone. 2023. Crouchy, let's kick this off. Any New Year's resolutions? Um, not really, Chris. No. I, like, There's nothing I want to... Um, all this not drinking as much and um, you know, eating less. If anything, I'm probably going to drink more. <laughs> I love that. There's a, there's a slight can't be asked to entertain it vibe. I think um, we should point to Gareth Bale as well, who mm. I think sort of done a similar thing. He's just started the new year and gone, ah, fuck it. Like, let's just <laughs> golf this year. What a career though, Gareth Bale. You know, we've done, obviously this is an episode that we'll, we'll, we'll talk about in a minute and, you know, about a great man, but another great man, eh? Gareth Bale, what a player. I mean, I had the pleasure of playing alongside him and, you know, for him to, to retire um, you know, brought so many people so much joy. Um, it was a, it was a genius in all honesty. And that's, that's not saying the word lightly because, you know, I watched him develop into the player that he became and the man he became. And it was, uh, it was amazing watching that sort of growth and how rapid it happened. I think it's all right to be a bit parched towards Gareth Bale. He's a teammate of yours and he's, you know, he's such an iconic player. When someone retires like that, do you fire off a little message to them? What do you do? Or do you sort of uh, just have to say something publicly, don't you? It's kind of an odd one, really, football at your level. It's a strange one because of social media at the moment. Like, you know, there's nothing wrong with just sending a little text, is there? But the thing is, is like, if you don't, if everyone comes out on social media and it's like you don't, it's like you're shunning him, but it's ridiculous, isn't it? I'll just send him a message and say, you know, well done, guys. You had a great career there. It's true. You're trapped either way. If you send a message on, on social media, everyone's going to pile in calling you parched. I'm willing to bet that happens. And um, if you don't, then people, you're right. People will just assume, well, what's his problem with Gareth Bale? Yeah, you can't can't win, can you? Can't win. New Year's for you guys then. How was it? Dave, what did you get up to? We haven't spoken to each other. I mean, it feels like we've all kind of moved on from New Year's, if I'm honest. But first podcast back, it feels we should just address it quickly. What did you get up to? Uh, mix some lagers and some stouts together. And I actually bumped into one of my friends who went to Crouch Fest. And I've not seen him for uh, since Crouch Fest. And I was wondering why. And he's come back with a story post-Crouch Fest. So we're talking after the after party. Um, decided that he wanted to go into a, a playground and um, nearly broke his collarbone, tore his rotor cuff. So he was actually an, uh, you know, an injured person from Crouchfest, but he's doing well now, boys. A few too many low outs. Mm, that was the problem. What are you up to, Chris? Well, you know what I was doing, mate? I was sending you videos, photos. Oh. I was updating <laughs> you. I got up so early on New Year's Eve. 
to to start the barbecue i slow cooked throughout the day and i thought do you know what i'm really adamant that this year i get crouchy into it you're retired now mate and i know you're into your golf but i'm convinced i'm convinced you're gonna love barbecuing i, th- I really think it's gonna be- I-, I know you're i know you're sort of against it but you're against it for the wrong reasons as soon as you get into it i really think you're gonna love it and and so i thought i'd just all day i would just send him messages dave and i'd get nothing and i would get the blue ticks and i thought fuck him i'm gonna keep sending them he's gonna call me a barbecue i'm gonna i'm gonna do this in style i kept sending it and then i just got one back from him just went not interested (laughs) grouchy come on thing is like i'm not like i like like cooking right yeah okay nice but like you know therapeutic sometimes maybe for half an hour hour right anything any kind of thing that goes over over an hour you you know talking about 24 hour monitoring of (laughs) of food being cooked sounds completely boring and and like how much better could it be than me just banging it on my massive weber gets the job done in like half 10 minutes flat job done i'm cracking open a beer we're enjoying the day you know what i mean it's like but that's like saying but that's like saying why don't i just bang out a game of wee golf instead of going to a golf course taking my time making making a day of it getting outside the fresh air it's exactly the same you're patronizing the sport of barbecuing it can't be that much better can't be although i have i have to say the some pictures i've been i've been looped into a load of barbecue cunts now and um i'm getting bombarded with some with, with, with marinated nonsense to, to be honest there's a few things like i, I mean i i poo pooed golf for, for years and years and years you know now obviously i like it and even you know recently in the, the trip away i had over christmas i went fishing i went i went deep sea fishing and uh, oh, yes. that, that's something that I was, I, I thought, God, it's boring, you know. But my God, I, I get it now. You know, like I sat out yeah. there in the middle of the ocean, um, you know, just me and a, another lad and, you know, his son and my daughter. And we had a few beers and I was looking out across the, and, and you know, and then, you know, we get something on the line and we fished and I brought it home. And we cooked it. We had it for lunch. <laughs> yeah, but that's what I'm saying. You're nearly there, mate. And the thing is with the fishing, I think you respect it more because it's a sport. And I think part of the reason you can't and sort of entertain the barbecue in the same way I do is you don't view it as a sport, whereas I mm. do. And what I'd like to see barbecuing do is end up like the darts at Christmas. Mm. I'd love to see Ali Pally full walk-ons, <laughs> girls dancing, and then and then just barbecues on stage. You know, like I'd love to see it go that way. Because also there is no other sport that involves food like that, unless anyone can mistake me. There's no sport that combines food and some sort of competitive. Do, do, do you see what I mean? Mm, Apart from yeah. those like those sort of hot dog competitions in the US where they see how many hot dogs they can eat in like 17 minutes. Have you seen the hot dog ones, Crouchy? They just swallow them whole. The sausage <laughs> goes right down that mouth. Like it doesn't, they don't chew. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to encourage anyone to do it because I don't, I never understand how they do it. Well, they just throw a hot dog straight down it, mate. Really, it, they lob these hot dogs down their necks. There's this one girl I've seen do it, right? And she just like it's literally a jar of hot dogs, and one after the other, she sort of just um, kind of ushers them in. <laughs> wow, and they go straight down. Pure that technique. Sounds insane. I think I'd rather see Dave on Babe Station. <laughs> Yeah, that's something we need to get to this year. There's a lot of stuff that we talked about in the World Cup series that's just gone by. 
And um, it feels like we've got a big to-do list moving into the, the next series of pods when we do that. But this is a bit of a, um, this is a bit of a bonus. It's a bit of a random one, this one, Crouchy, isn't mm. it? But I think it is, it's all for very good reasons, as I think you should explain. Yeah, well, it, you know, I've seen everywhere, um, you know, across social media, across, you know, plenty of news outlets, football outlets, you know, lots of people talking about Pele. Uh, and lots of our listeners are younger, aren't they? And lots of people, you know, like ourselves, we never saw Pele live. And obviously, I, I grew up on um, on videos of him. I remember sneaking down uh, sort of 5.36 in the morning, putting videos of uh, the 1970 World Cup, because I remember my dad saying to me, the Brazil team of the 1970s was the best team he's ever seen. So I ended up doing a bit of research, I suppose. And in those days, there was no, you know, it's no internet, no Google. It was all about watching videos. So I swatted up on the teams and, you know, that 1970 World Cup and, and Pele in particular. Um, but we're all speculating, you know. So, you know, I've, I thought to myself, obviously, I know um, this fella is about to come on now pretty well. He was a director at Tottenham um, when I was there. Um, he ended up... Um, you know, managing Pele for for 10 years. So rather than everyone speculating, you know, let's hear from from someone who knows him as well as anyone, really. Um, someone who's worked with him uh, and someone that um, I get on really well with. So he'd be a good friend of the pod. So um, this person is, is Paul Kemsley, uh, PK. Yeah, Crouchy, because there isn't much coverage of, of Pele as a person. It'd be good to kind of dig a little bit deeper. What was he like? How big were his thighs? How high could he jump? You know, those really key things. Yeah, I think we're going to hear some amazing stories. Obviously, Pele, one of the first global superstars to really transcend their sport. Um, I bet there's so much stuff about this guy that that we don't know about and we can find out about today. I feel we're going to learn a lot. Really excited for this. Right, should we get PK on the line? Right, PK, good to see you, mate. It's been a long time. How have you been? Uh, I've been good, man. Yeah, really good. I mean, living a very different life since we last hung, but um, yeah, really yeah. good. Yeah, we're, we're welcome along, PK. And um, Crouchy, just before I forget as well, because I realised we didn't say in the um, in the opening of this podcast, we should say congratulations on your on your wedding as well, on your marriage mm. as well. Mm. You've gone again, Chumbawamba. Congratulations. Well, <laughs> I, don't about, I don't know. Yeah, it was a 10-year wedding anniversary. Like we did the, uh, we renewed our vows, PK, while we were away over Christmas. Can we move on? I don't want Dorit getting any ideas. Can we just move yeah, on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> More than happy to move on. Um, but Chris, Dave, I don't know if you know, PK was the director at Spurs when I was there. Vice chairman, actually. Vice chairman, sorry. Um, while I was yeah, there. Yeah, stop demoting me. <laughs> <laughs> I said director for years. I, was just, I didn't know you vice chairman. Shows you how much I had to deal with him. <laughs> but, I didn't, you know, so how, how do you get from that to, to managing Pele? Obviously, I had a real passion for football and having been by BC at Tottenham for... About nine years, I think, maybe eight. I, I'd moved to America. There was a load of football people. And I said, look, who's interested in coming to acquire the New York Cosmos with me? And the only one who said yes was Terry Byrne, who I know you know, Crouchy. Yeah, yeah, We sat there one one day in the office in Green Street, Soho. And I said, do, do, do you know what? Unless we get Pele as chairman of this club, we've got no chance. I mean, the whole history about the Cosmos was Pella. He said, well, how are we going to do that? I said, you've got to find him. And at this point, getting older Pele was like, 
it was the hardest thing in the world. I mean, you just you just couldn't get hold of him. You had thousands of agents who purported to act for him. You know, we spoke to this agent. Yeah, 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 I represent Pelé. You have to come to Argentina and give me like 100 grand in cash or something. You know, or yeah, yeah, I represent him. I'm from Peru. Meet me at the uh, meet, meet me at the Macachiba Trail or whatever it's called. Anyway, cut a long story short. We finally found someone that we thought was credible. And we flew to Sao Paulo. And obviously I now know this, but I didn't know at the time. There's such a thing called Pele time, which basically means Pele gets there when Pele's ready to get there, right? And it doesn't matter what time you've made the meeting, right? <laughs> so we got, we, we got there, I want to say, at 6 p.m. for a 7 p.m. dinner. And we're sitting there at 11.30 p.m. and there's no sign of Pele, right? <laughs> And I said, Terry, he's, oh, not right. Terry's not coming. No, 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 he's going to come. I think at midnight, we gave up. Went back to the hotel, called the guy that we thought was the representative. He blanked the call. <laughs> so I went mental with Terry. I said, you shut me out to San Paolo. You told me and we can't meet him. Anyway, he said, what are we going to do? I said, we're going to stay here until we've met him. And he said, well, I thought you might say that. So he bought a Soprano box set of DVDs. Right, and he said, "Well, I, I knew I, I think we're going to be here for a while, PK. So let's watch the Sopranos." Five days we were there in the hotel room, right, calling every day, didn't get a response. Then we got a, a meeting five days later, and the same guy said, "Come to this recording studio, and Pele will be there." So we went to the recording studio, and as we walked in, we saw Pele behind this. You know, you have in recording studios, you have these glass walls, and I was like. And it's, it's, it's something almost spiritual when you see him up close and personal. Do you know what I mean? Especially when we've been waiting five days to meet him. I didn't realise this, but Brazil's kind of laid back. So I thought I'd have a cigarette whilst I was waiting. And the guy comes out, he goes, it's probably best you don't smoke. And I said, oh, okay, no problem. He goes, yeah, Pele's doing an anti-smoking campaign. Right? <laughs> 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 it sounds like you got off to the to the worst possible start you could then. How does it get from that? <laughs> how does it get from that situation to managing him? And how was how how did you gain his trust like that? So we got on and I gave him the job of chairman of the Cosmos, which quite frankly was a nice check for Pele. He had to pitch up a couple of times a year and we used his name and image. And during that year of building the Cosmos's brand and then ultimately selling it. Uh, I spent quite a bit of time with him. He came over to New York. This was 2011. So I said to him, look, you need representation. You can't have everybody saying they represent Pele and then nobody knows how to do any business because this is Pele's time. You've got the World Cup and you've got the Rio de Janeiro Olympics. And the very first time, we hadn't signed anything. He came to London and I said to him, look, I've got some potential sponsors that want to meet you. We we're at the Sheraton in Knightsbridge. And he said, OK. And he's, he was always so graceful and so kind and so sweet. And, you know, just I wrote about it. His smile lit up the world and he made everybody feel relaxed, although he was about as intimidating as you could be because he's Pele, but not intimidating in the sense of, you know, behaviour or anything, just once you were with him, you were relaxed. So the lads I, I had to meet him in the bar were not sponsors. They were my schoolmates. 
right? But they were driving me mad that they've got to get an autograph. So I had about 10 of them all come in at once. <laughs> and we had photographs, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I swear to you, about three months later, we're all signed, sealed. I'm his manager. Pele says to me, uh, when you brought me to London and you told me to meet those sponsors, I'm not stupid, PK. They weren't sponsors, were they? And I said, I, I said, I said, no, they weren't. I said they were my mates from school. And he says, I like someone who remembers where he comes from. He goes, that's why I signed for you. What was Pele like as a person? I'm talking about, did he go for a beer? Did he, you know, was he Tito? Was he a joker? Was he, you know, smooth? Was he standoffish? What was he like with, once he was, the curtain, behind, behind the curtain, if you know what I mean? He didn't go for a beer. He only he, he very, very rarely drank. And when he did drink, he, he liked Black Label. So uh, he'd have a glass of Black Label. If he was feeling rich, he'd have Blue Label. He, he used to talk about, you know, I'll have Blue Label on a special occasion. But that would be very, very infrequently. Behind closed doors, super warm, super engaging. This is a guy that was so famous that he slipped into being Pele. As, as casually as we all slip into, you know, our pyjamas. So when he was amongst people, he, he waved, he was engaging. He he didn't spend too much time with any one person. He had his two go-tos that he was always with. But that's the thing, PK, like, it's not just football. It's kind of everyone in the world knows who Pele is. So with Pele, you must have had some crazy experiences meeting people. Crouchy was telling me there was a story about John Lennon. Pele and John Lennon met uh, in New York, both learning Japanese. So, um, so so they went to Japanese classes together. But but all these years later, we were at the Amsterdam Hilton, which is where the... It's where the... Um, imagine Not Imagine Room, where the Give Peace a Chance Room is. Right? So you know when Lennon was in bed for, for a week with Yoko. Mm. So they've kept that room identical to what it was in back in the day. So when you walk in, it's like a shrine. I mean, it's quite something. I'm a, I'm a massive Lennon fan. So walking in and, and seeing it exactly as it was, so Pelle says to me, let's get in the bed. So I said, all right, let's get in the bed. And I've got to find this photo. But <laughs> essentially we get in the bed and we all the cameras are there and he puts a soccer ball between our heads. So we're leaning in with like a soccer ball separating our heads and we had this amazing photograph. And you talk about was he a joker. So that night we went for dinner and it's probably my favourite Pele story. He um, he said to me, look, PK, I know you get annoyed with me that I'm always late um, Pele time. He says, and on this particular occasion, I need you to know that something actually truly happened that, that made me to be late. So I said, well, he was talking about a, an appearance the week before in Brazil where I'd sent a car to pick him up. He said, PK, I got in the car on time, I promise you. He said, but the traffic in Sao Paulo was so, so bad. He said, we didn't move for 45 minutes. He says, then we started to move. He says, but the driver, PK, he goes, the driver, he turned around, he was green. He was sick, PK, the driver was sick. So I said, well, what did you do? He said, well, I didn't know what to do. He said, so I told the driver to sit in the back and I'll drive, right? I said, you're kidding me. Now, this is Pele driving in Brazil. I mean, this is, I don't know how to explain this to you. 
It's like it's yeah, it's like seeing Charles on a moped next to you at the light. Yeah, you got it, Chris. So I said, "Oh, you're kidding." He said, "No," but he said, "But I put my foot down, and all of a sudden I hear this police siren in the in the mirror." I said, "You're kidding." What happened? He said, "He pulled me over, Peter." He said, "He gets off his bike, he comes up, he taps on the window, undo the window, he sees it's me." And I said, "I, I understand." He said, "What did he do?" He said, "He phoned the captain." He said, "Captain." You've got to help me. I've pulled over someone very, very, very important. The sergeant said, well, who is it? And he said, look, he's very, very important. And the sergeant says, who is it? He says, I don't fucking know. He goes, but he's got Pele as his driver. (laughs) 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 Can you imagine being that fella in the back? Oh my god! <laughs> there's there's going to be so many stories, and I'm so keen that we also get into Pele on the pitch and about his physicality. And I know Dave has been sort of looking at so many of the the stats, and it was it was different how football was accounted for then. So I'm fascinated to see what Dave comes up with. But just very quickly before we move on to that, PK, were you managing Pele when he appeared in Mike Bassett's England <laughs> Manager? No, it was not. <laughs> oh, I'm gutted. Well, I think it's ironic, Chris, with all the great questions that you could ask and Dave, the statistician, that you want to know about Mike Bassett's England manager. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the podcast, PK. (laughs) Okay, should we talk about Pele on the pitch? I mean, a true master of his craft. Dave, where do you begin to kind of look at that from a numbers point of view or... Or, or how do you want to sort of go for this? Because a lot of the, the greatness of Pele predates, you know, even video, doesn't it? That's the thing. I think, you, you know, you look at the first few World Cups that Pele was involved in. It's black and white TV. It's it's one of these situations where you look at the, the thing, it's a 1970s World Cup, which was the first with colour TV where people could see Pele in action. But just a, a few records to kind of, you know, maybe describe Pele as a footballer. He's won more World Cups than any other player in the history of football with three. He's still Brazil's top scorer with 77 goals in 92 games. He's got the most assists at the World Cup. He scored the most hat-tricks in the history of football, 92 hat-tricks equating to 276 goals. The youngest player to win the World Cup, of course. The, the list goes on and on. PK, how did Pele view these records and these achievements? I think he was very proud of his achievements. He... he... He's a very graceful guy. He never used to he never used to speak about himself. He was just a wonderful, wonderful, kind humanitarian. Yes, he would sometimes recall memories and as I said, he had a habit of repeating himself. So I heard the stories many, many, many times. I mean, one of the stories he enjoyed talking about football wise was that he actually played, I want to say, two or three times in goal for the national team. So he was actually a great goalie. Um <laughs> Another statistic that he shared with me that the circumference of his thigh was the same as his waist. Okay, no, that's a small waist. 26-inch thigh, 26-inch waist. A big thigh, though, Crouchy, big thigh. You look at Chris Hoy, 27 inches. So Pele's thigh, the same size. Crouchy, have you managed to um, measure yours at all? I did, actually, Dave, yeah. And um, I think, mine. believe it or not, my waist is bigger than you think. My waist is around 34, 35, but my legs, well, my thigh, I did it. I don't know if I did it right, but <laughs> it was around the 19, 20 inch 
Uh, Mark. It's amazing that, that it's so different because other than that, I had you exactly like looking like Pele. You know, you were similar form. You know, well, we are such such similar players. <laughs> but my thighs obviously were uh, his. His were definitely greater. Unfortunately, one of the uh, one of the things that I learned about Pele, I, I I don't know if you guys have seen Birth of a Legend, the movie about the 1958 World Cup in Sweden. But it's also about the promise that he made to his father, which is the most beautiful story because essentially when Pele was six or seven, he saw his father cry when Brazil lost the World Cup final to, I want to say it was Uruguay. And he, he made a promise. He said, uh, Papa, I'll, I'll win a World Cup for Brazil. And that is this movie that he, this is the kid who told his dad he was going to win a World Cup for Brazil. And actually he won three. And he told him that at the age of six. And only 10 years later did he first achieve it, you know, because he was 16 when he first won the World Cup. So obviously he wanted to st- st- he stayed in Brazil for pretty much like all his career. And like what, obviously there was a huge contract for him in New York and he, you know, if anyone deserves it, but he must have, you know, loved his life because he must have had plenty of offers from massive clubs across Europe to stay in Brazil for as long as he did. And what were the reasons behind that? Loyalty. I mean, bless his soul, he's buried now in, he's, he's set in, in a tomb in the Santos Stadium. That's where, he's, yeah. that's where he's finally been laid to rest. He loved that club. I mean, it doesn't happen these days. What well, it did with Stevie G, didn't it? He stayed his whole career at Liverpool. Um, uh, but it's very rare. And Pele loved Santos. That's basically, he was from a, I can't pronounce it, was from a town called Tre. Cosicaras or Trecocaras, which means three hearts, which was close to Santos. Santos signed him when he was a kid and he stayed there. And then eventually the bright lights and big city got him to come to New York. And, um, you know, that was so, so successful as well at the time. You know, it's, it's strange, isn't it? If you think greatest player of all time only ever played for Santos and the New York Cosmos, you know, and that's where, that's where the, yeah, that's where the question marks come in. Do you, yeah, do you think that holds him holds him back in a conversation with Maradona and uh, you know Cruyff or Ronaldo, Messi? Do you think that holds him back in the conversation? The simple truth is this: that if there was social media and TV at the time Pele was playing, we would never have this conversation ever again as to whether he was the best. It's not even it's not even close. Even in your role as chairman and vice chairman of, of various clubs, like the the facilities and everything like that, it, it's a totally different situation now to what it would have been with Pele then. It, it, it is, and there was no red or yellow cards either, so he was getting hacked as shit every game. Right, well, can we talk about this? Because I didn't know until until today, PK, when we, we knew we were chatting to you and we were looking at a couple of videos, I was not aware that yellow and red cards came into football relative I just assumed this was you know from from hundreds of years ago or something is when when was it Dave it was 1970 so Pelly began his career as a pro what in 1956 so he'd been playing for 14 years without people being sent off so there was a crowd sheet no yellow and red cards right there's footage of Pelé there's a montage of him getting absolutely hacked to pieces and and nothing's done about it it's just the game do you know Pele is the only player ever to be sent off in the first half and brought back on in the second half? And this is this is wow. the most this is the most genius story. So basically, 
he went to Colombia. Um, who's that crazy, crazy drug dealer? Pablo Escobar. So wherever wherever Escobar's from, is it Colombia or? Mm. Yeah, Colombia. So Pele went to an exhibition game when Escobar was still running the show. And he was put on in the first half. He did something and the referee sent him off. And apparently Escobar went down at half time and told the referee he was going to have him killed unless he put Pele back on the pitch, right? <laughs> no so second half, second half, Pele comes back on the pitch. My God. I, to be fair, if I'm the ref there, I'm, I'm rescinding it straight away. But you, you, say, you send it to VAR nowadays. Yeah, yeah, you? yeah, you yeah, someone, yeah. Someone, someone behind the screen yeah. can deal David, with that one. David, <laughs> David Coote will be in the, back, in, um, back in Stockley Park getting a hit, hit on him. <laughs> no, he was the. If you, if, if you speak to Harry Redknapp, who's, who's a pal of me and Crouchy, I mean, Harry really manages to articulate it in pure Harry terms. He said, no, most complete player ever, head feet, anything, could use any part of his body, mm. speed, ability to pass, could read the game. I mean, he was the complete footballer, Pele. And I know people will say Messi, but I'm sorry, it's, it, three World Cups, he just doesn't come to... And also, it's what Pele did off the pitch as well. You know, he, he kept himself, you know, right up until, really, until he passed. He was a beautiful ambassador for the beautiful game, wasn't he? Yeah, I watched. I watched a lot of. Uh, I watched the videos when I was a kid, as I say, like a nine-year-old, ten-year-old, eleven-year-old. But then recently, I've you know delved into um, you know a lot of the stuff he's done and the skills and st- a lot of the skills he did. You know, he, he did the Cruyff turn before Cruyff. Um, some of the skills Ronaldo did, um, he was doing them in the seventies and sixties. Um, you know, all the skills that I see from the players that we see today, Pele did them first. Um, and there was a a message on on social media that I saw and it was Pele did it first and it had the Cruyff turn. Yeah. It had Ronaldo doing his skills, Cristiano and the Brazilian Ronaldo, Neymar, all the things that they do now, Pele was doing in the 50s, 60s and 70s. Yeah, it's like, it's, mate, it's like you with a robot. You did that first, right? Well, did, did Pele do that first? Do <laughs> we know? Yeah. No, <laughs> no, Pele never did the robot. Crouchy's got that. He's a pioneer, mate. I mean, that's, you know, you, you own that, Crouchy. Lots of people thought it started in New York, but it started with <laughs> did he ever talk to you pk about how football has changed for the better and and like what was his favorite time of playing was it when yellow and red cards didn't exist for example did he prefer that that that's that sort of football game he once told me about a game he was playing in i want to say it was fulham where he just got annihilated i mean there were so many times where basically the only way to stop pele was to Hacking down. I mean, there's so many great quotes. Like one of those famous Italian defenders said to himself when he was about to, you know, play against Pelle. He said, "I said in the dressing room, I told myself a hundred times, he's only human. He's only human. He's only human." I went out there and I realised I was wrong. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's that kind of thing, you know. I think I think Pelle's ultimate favourite time was winning the '70 World Cup in Mexico. I think that was the pinnacle of his career I think that's when Pele was really on top of the world Crouchy throughout this whole chat we're having about Pele are there any similarities to yourself that you've seen so far my thigh is as big as Pele's waist (laughs) 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 other than that I don't think there's a there's not a great deal of similarities I'll be honest we've played in World Cups 
Um, we 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 played football, um, but I did. There's a couple of things I'm, I'm thinking of. I heard that um, you know when he when he signed a contract, say with you know various deals, he would still rather play in his own boots. I don't know, PK. Obviously, you can enlighten us on this. I'm sure that's very true. And in the uh, World Cup, I want to say it was the '70 World Cup. He was sponsored by Puma, I think. And he wanted to wear his own boots, so he created the logo yeah. with white tape. Oh, you see, at least that's a compromise. Crouchy, didn't you? I'm sure you told us once you just refused point blank to wear boots that you, you'd been told to wear. <laughs> I, I just used to like wearing, you know, one, maybe two pair of boots for the whole season. So I didn't like when they constantly brought out new boots and I had to be in the latest pair. I'm like, I've scored two goals last week and they want mm. me in a new pair. I'm like, that. that's not good for me. I'd rather, I'd rather just piss off the people uh, sponsoring you and and continue to score. Oh, come on. There must be other similarities. Um, PK, Crouchy. Did did Pele ever do anything like this? So, like, when we're out and about, Crouchy's obviously, I mean, he's a tall guy. He's, he's It's hard for Crouchy to just kind of hide himself a bit. But Pele was one of the most famous people yeah. on earth. Did he ever have little tricks to sort of, you know, just be able to dart through people? He did. So Pele was under the misapprehension that if he wore a hat... There we go. (laughs) There it is. People wouldn't recognise him, right? Crouchy. So Pele used to wear this... Do you remember the Beatles in the 60s when they wore those flat hats? Like, they're almost like train drivers' hats. Do you know what I mean? So Pele used to stick one of them on. And obviously Pele's (laughs) one of his most recognisable you know, things was his hair, you know, the way he had his hair. He had the same, he kept the same hairdresser from 1958. He, he used to get, like the hairdresser was cutting his hair when the hairdresser was like 90. It's the same guy. <laughs> uh, and Pele, you, Pele used to put the hat on and think that he could then not be recognised. It was only like when we went through an airport and people like burst out crying and on their hands and knees worshipping. I said, Pele, that, you know, maybe the hat's not working. <laughs> <laughs> you, you've been doing the hat thing, Crouchy. Oh man, I do it. Yeah, I do it. At least these take the piss out of me. Just you know, people down the street go, "There's Peter Crouch with a hat on," and then like, you know, it doesn't work. I know it doesn't work, but it makes me feel better. Me- There's Peter Crouch with a hat on. <laughs> PK outside of football, Pele obviously had a lot of different brand deals. Any other fashion ones where he kind of went a little bit outside the box? Pele never used to throw clothes away, and he was the most. Terrible dresser. I mean, he'd come out wearing those, <laughs> like, Nigerian ambassadorial suits, you know, where the shirt and the trousers are the same colour, like turquoise. And he'd be wearing that in, you know, the year 2014, when this, when he'd actually bought the outfit in 1971. So I got him a deal. I want to say it was with Gucci to dress him. You know, I remember we went for a fitting and we did all the suits and everything fitted him perfectly. And he was really had a great physique for wearing a suit and he looked great in a suit. So one night we were going out in New York. We went to the Cipriani on Fifth. Of course, we walked in and this happened in most restaurants we went to. The whole restaurant stands up and starts clapping. We sit down and then all of a sudden the servers, most of them are from Latin America, etc., just refusing to do anything unless he sign something and then the kitchen staff won't work it was just complete fucking mayhem but on that particular <laughs> on that particular night he was wearing this very cool military style jacket that i just assumed was gucci 
right? He had a black turtleneck on and a brown military-style jacket. And he looked so sharp. And I said to him, Pele, that is awesome. You look amazing. I said, did Gucci give that? And he starts laughing. He goes, this is my uniform from Escape to Victory. <laughs> oh, no. Can, can we talk about that film? Because... I remember reading something that Michael Caine said about him and it was basically praising him as an actor. Did he ever, well, firstly, how did that role come about? And secondly, did you ever have a conversation with Pelé about that being, you know, uh, something that he could be seen to be doing more seriously, like actually call himself legitimately an actor? So in Escape to Victory, who was the goalkeeper? Stallone was the goalkeeper, yeah. He He was never supposed to be the goalkeeper in that movie. He was supposed to be the striker, but he couldn't kick a ball. Pele was the goalkeeper, right? So they swapped it. They swapped it round. It's something like that. They swapped striker for goalkeeper. Have you done any films yet, Crouchy? I'm not sure if you have. No, I haven't actually. Surprisingly. Well, we're shooting the boy, we're shooting the boy George McBiopic this year. You know, major movie. And given that you, you know, you and George are close, we should potentially like be talking to you about, you know, I don't know. Record executive, get you in that movie. I think, I think so. I think so, oh, mate. I'd like to make even just a little guest appearance in that, if you don't mind. <laughs> like you've, our listeners will, you know, they've heard it here first. Why don't we get Crouchy? Should be um, if you're doing Boy George. Like, what about what about something in the in the Band Aid setup, Crouchy? That could be you there, just like bass player or something like, like that. Yeah. I, Chris, Chris, I think you're onto something. He could be that bloke from Heaven Seventeen. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that'd be awesome. That'd be good. That boy George, then yeah, I look forward to that. Yeah, I'll have a word with him. <laughs> listen, listen, we definitely cover the nineties, so maybe we can have you in some cameo role in a nightclub, like doing the robot in the corner. Yeah, that's the one. That is yeah. the one. That is the one. <laughs> Towards the the end, and obviously with the illness, and um, you know, how did the family and how did the the people of sort of Brazil, you know, take to the news. Pele was a very proud man. I mean, one of the, like, they wanted him to open the Rio de Janeiro Olympics. They wanted him to light the flame. And, you know, I spoke to the president of the Olympic Committee and, and I said, you know, he doesn't want to do it. He's in, a, he's in a wheelchair at this point. He doesn't want his image to, to be of him in a wheelchair at the Olympics. He was a very proud man. Um you know, he was the athlete of the century. He was named the athlete of the century, and that's how he wanted to be remembered. And that's, mm. thank God, that's how he is going to be remembered. I mean, when you look at, when when we think of Pele now, we think of that 1970s image. We don't look at Pele and think of him as an old man. That's not the image. That, certainly not the image I've got in my head. And I think most people, when they think of Pele, they think of the bicycle kick. They think of, all you know, the header. They think of the Gordon Banks save, you know, whatever. I don't think we look back and we think of Pelé as the frail old guy, you know, that unfortunately became in the last few months of his life. So, yeah, he was a very proud man. Well, PK, uh, I just have to say thank you for sharing that. Like I say, there's been so much um, talk uh, from various people, but not many people that knew him as well as as well as you did. Hopefully, you know, there's a bit more enlightening for some of our listeners. Uh, we've we've heard he's mentioned. You know, John Lennon, uh, he's wore a train hat. Uh, there's plenty of things that you don't get anywhere else here. Um, and plenty of stats and obviously the most fouls um, at World Cup. 
were made by Pele, uh, which was which is another fantastic stat that Dave's produced. Um, <laughs> but yeah, honestly, you know, on a serious note, PK, it's uh, it is great to hear some of the stories that you've got and uh, and find out a little bit more about the man, you know, behind the legend, really. No, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Look, I loved him so dearly. I was devastated when he passed. And I, I want to be able to share some of these stories. It's important to me and, and important to all your listeners that, that they know that not only was he, was he the best soccer player ever, but he was also a beautiful, beautiful, kind, lovely man. Just a humanitarian, just a, just a great guy. It's a real, real loss to this to this world. PK, well, I appreciate you uh, you sharing it on this podcast. I know you've got plenty of offers to do it elsewhere, but I really appreciate you doing it here. No, it's a pleasure, mate. It's it's uh, Pele taught me always remember where you come from, didn't he? So it's nice to uh, <laughs> be able to go back and talk to you, Crouchy, with with us having so much history together. So it's a great pleasure. Crouchy, I feel like I've learned so much. Um, I, we've got to say as well, PK, what, where have you pulled him from? <laughs> <laughs> what a legend, did he? Honestly. I think you said it so right, Crouchy, in that there's so much stuff about Pele and some amazing clips that you see on social. But it was fascinating to hear from someone that that, that knew him. Mm. And um, yeah, some some incredible stories, really. Mm. This, this is why I wanted to sort of like do the kind of bonus episode like we're in the middle of you know planning stuff we've got loads to do for the next series but I just felt you know this was an opportunity to speak to someone who knew Pele um you know after he passed and this is one of potentially the greatest player we've ever seen you know winning three world cups obviously all the achievements have are out there already I don't need to go through them um but just hearing it from someone who's been around them you know so much uh, I think was too good an opportunity to pass up, and hopefully, hopefully it was worth worth the bonus episode. Yeah, definitely. I I, I think that's really true, Crouchy. So look, this is a bit of a um, bonus episode. We wanted to do it. We should say plans are in place for us to come back with the next series of that Peter Crouch podcast. But obviously, when that happens, there'll be a notification on your phone uh, that we're going again. And I have promised myself and the rest of the team here that that will not happen till some proper plans are put in place for dave station yeah, yeah and it was right. discussed in the world there was a lot of stuff discussed in those world cup episodes that we did that i just will not accept just fall by the wayside chris a little questionnaire have you got any further uh, you know with mitrovic and fulham we've got a big game of red ass that we need to play we need to probably get that done before the new season as well no these these talks dave are all in place um you know <laughs> I've been speaking to Babe Station on a regular basis. It's, <laughs> it's not all been recreational. Crouchy's been doing work experience Mark. at Babe Station. For the... <laughs> it hasn't all been recreational. I have been doing some digging as well. Yeah, next next time you hear from us, it will hopefully be accompanied by some sort of video doing the rounds of social on of Statman Dave on a Shea Lounge doing the old phone hand, you know, where you pretend like getting people to call in and a premium rate number where you will be able to call and Dave will read stats to you throughout the night. That's the dream. It's going to get and, weird. Uh, 
<laughs> you know how it is with this podcast. We we put these things out. We say we're going to do them. We need to do them. So, yeah, I think we will be back stronger. Um, well, I can't give you a date just yet because there's plenty to go on at the moment, but it won't be very long. We will be back stronger. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Because <laughs> we've said that before. We've There was a time we once said, like, we won't be that long. Yeah. And you didn't hear from us again for a year. <laughs> <laughs> I, will, I, I, I won't put an exact time on it. But it, it it's, you know, Soon-ish. it'll be before the season ends. <laughs> <laughs> it all depends on Babe Station, Mitrovic, and uh, <laughs> whatever other nonsense we need to sort for then. Nothing else left to say, really, other than uh, Chumbawamba. Mm. Chumbawamba, everyone. Chumbawamba. We'll be back stronger. Selling a little? Or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. This episode is brought to you by a load of pricks.net. We are the experts in selling houses. Chris couldn't sell his house. What did you do, Chris? I couldn't sell my house for love nor money, Crouchy. Three different offers I had, all at the last minute, fell through. I turned around to my wife and said, what can we do to sell this house? Every estate agent is failing us. Then I told her, let's go to a load of pricks.net. But Chris, what did a load of pricks do for you? They were brilliant, Crouchy. They sold my house right away. The sign had barely gone up when a well-dressed gentleman came along and offered me twice the asking price. Chris, would you use a load of pricks again? I'd use them every time, Crouchy. Go to a load of pricks.net. They will sell your house like no other. Load of pricks, load of pricks.net. 